Hi, I'm your host, Dr. Jennifer R. Levin, and I'm a traumatic grief therapist and founder of Therapy Heals, where we help organizations and individuals prepare and heal from sudden or unexpected death. And in my podcast, Untethered, Healing the Pain from Sudden Death, I share resources and stories to help you go from the chaos of sudden or unexpected death to move towards healing in your life. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Untethered, Healing the Pain from a Sudden Death. I'm Dr. Jennifer Levin, and I specialize in traumatic death and helping individuals through the struggles, pain, trauma, and chaos of an unexpected death. In today's podcast, I interview the Reverend Dr. Pamela Blair, perhaps best known for the book she co-authored that was first published in the year 2000, entitled, I Wasn't Ready to Say Goodbye, Surviving, Coping, and Healing After the Sudden Death of a Loved One. Dr. Blair is a retired psychotherapist who specialized in working with individuals grieving the loss of a loved one, especially after sudden death. Although retired, Dr. Blair continues to lead grief support groups and write. In today's podcast, she shares her personal grief story, highlights the impact of her book, I Was Not Ready to Say Goodbye, and she explores excerpts from her new book, The Long Grief Journey. Together, we delve into the concept of the long-term grief, ways to cope with continued loss that occurs throughout the grief continuum, how to explore happiness within the context of grief, and the notion of holding hope during grief. So welcome, Pam. I'm so glad that you're here with us today. And you have a long history um, working with individuals. Actually, I'm going to start over. I am going to um, do a general question, which I realized is um, asking you to just start off by telling you a little bit about yourself. And you can do anything from um, you have your family to your interests to just anything, or if you want to keep it all professional. But I always ask that. And I realized um, I didn't do that in here. So just you know, whatever. Okay. So, well, I'm a happily retired oh, wait, wait, uh, psychotherapist. Let me, let, me ask, let me, um, let me formally ask that. Oh, okay. Go ahead. So, so welcome, Pam. I'm so glad that you're here with us today. And, uh, let me start off by asking you to, um, tell us a little bit about yourself. Thanks for asking. It's nice to be here, Jen. Um, I, I'm a happily retired psychotherapist uh, with a long career, about, oh, 32 years officially, and uh, I'm living in Vermont. I'm happily married now for about 38 years, and I say about because sometimes I forget to do the math, but I think it's 38 years, and um, I'm married to uh, a wonderful guy. I have two children. And I have two cats and my life, even in retirement, is busy. Now, how did that happen? So I continue to write books. I um, I host a grief support group for people. I, um, I'm mentoring the school system. I'm, I'm doing all kinds of things, Jen. And I was hoping I would just be sitting in a chair reading some good books, but that's not the case. I'm writing them instead. I actually hear that a lot. 
from people that they're busier now in retirement than they yeah. were in their professional life. Yeah. So you have a long history working with individuals who have experienced sudden loss and traumatic grief. Can you share some of your career highlights? There are a lot of them, but the one that stands out the most is, um, well, 9-11. And my publisher at the time who asked me to sign, I think it was over 400 copies of I Wasn't Ready to Say Goodbye for the firefighters and police officers' families, uh, the, the men and women who perished trying to save others. And then I had the privilege of working with some of the families afterwards in my private office in Westchester County, which is just outside of New York City. Mm-hmm. And um, and then one woman who I worked with who uh, was coming up out of the subway that day, and she was on her merry way to work, and she hadn't heard anything was going on. And she walked up the subway stairs to a cloud of death coming at her. She was extremely traumatized. So I worked with her. And uh, and then, of course, uh, I'm retired and I have the privilege of volunteering, like I said, to give workshops uh, and hold a grief support group in my community. Um, I could go on endlessly talking, but I I know you have other questions. Um, You know, that's... Okay. That's one of the highlights. I could go on about the highlights. Uh, They happen to do with individual clients, and I'm not comfortable talking about that. Of course. Of course. Are you comfortable sharing your own experiences with us about sudden or unexpected deaths that you have encountered in your Mm -hmm. life? Well, uh, to me, this still spooks me out. But um, my former husband died of a brain aneurysm. And six months later, my sister's husband died of the same exact brain aneurysm. Wow. And we went through the same experience of having to disconnect the life support. So um, uh, my sister was my primary source of support. We supported each other, in fact. Um, I asked her to write some poetry for I Wasn't Ready to Say Goodbye, which she did. She talks about her own experience uh, in that book, which I I wrote about. And so I think that those two experiences really moved me into another place of understanding personally what sudden death uh, is about, what the complexities are, and and the enormous effects of sudden death on all of us because I'm a human being like the rest of your listeners. Yeah. And uh, I realized, wow, that's pretty intense. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So you've, you've alluded to and talked about your book and and that's what I, I'd like to spend some time on. Sure. So one of the first things I do when I work with a client who's experienced a recent sudden or unexpected death is recommend your book. I wasn't ready to say goodbye Mm -hmm. um, that you wrote with uh, Brooke Noel. And I actually always Mm -hmm. say, I promise I do not get a kickback from this book, but I just think it's, you know, the best book out there um, for individuals who have experienced a, um, a sudden and unexpected loss. So what, you published this in 2000. What led you to write 
that book at that time? Well, uh, for the last 23 years, the book has been selling and we've updated it any number of times to make it more current. Uh, at the time, uh, just before the, I, I was given the opportunity to write the book, I was publishing an eight-page newsletter on divorce recovery and the trauma that people go through through divorce. And uh, it was called Surviving Divorce. And in those days, it wasn't online. It was actual paper uh, newsletter. And uh, Brooke Noel happened to come across a copy of that newsletter because she was writing a book on uh, single parenting or writing a newsletter on single parenting, excuse me. And she said, wow, you know, you're a good writer. And, and she asked me to collaborate with her, uh, not knowing that I had had a sudden death in my family. Uh, her brother had died of anaphylactic shock from a bee sting. Wow. And interestingly, she really had no personal experience with sudden death before that, as most of us don't. Uh, and she uh, was trying to find a book on the topic and she said to me, have you found one? And I said, you know what? I haven't even looked. Let me look. And there was nothing written on sudden death uh, at that time, 23 years ago. There were books on, you know, how to be be with somebody who is dying slowly or if you were dying slowly. Uh, the Kubler-Ross stuff, of course. Right. But nothing on the traumatic, you know, sudden death. Right. So, um it be immediately became a, a bestseller. And I say that with some trepidation because uh, I'm sorry that it's a bestseller at the same time I'm delighted. Yeah. So it became a bestseller. Um, were you surprised? Yes. Yes. Because basically Brooke and I were writing the book from uh it wasn't from a clinical perspective. It was from a human experience mm -hmm. of loss and what we had learned by uh, poking around and, and trying to find other things that had maybe been written on, on sudden loss. And what we just decided to do was just to focus in on our personal journeys. Yeah. And, and my experience as a psychotherapist, Brooke is a journalist. And a good researcher, and I'm a psychotherapist. So it was a good combination of gifts, if you will. Yeah, absolutely. Now, um, you talked about obviously the vital role it played um, in 9 11. Um, mm -hmm. What were some other examples over the 23 years now mm -hmm. since it's been um, in circulation? Um, mm -hmm in how the book has been used or some ways in which you've seen the book make an impact. I mean, I can think of ways in how my clients have just been like, you know, one of my neighbors and a dear friend of mine experienced a sudden death and I bought five copies and sent it to the house. I mean, what are some of the ways you've seen the book be used? I've gone to funerals and I've seen people sitting there holding this book. Hmm. I don't want to say like a Bible because that's a wholly different thing, but um, just holding it and not not even being able to read it yet mm. because they were in such trauma. But so glad they had received it as a copy, a, a copy from somebody that cared enough about them to give it to them. Yeah. Um, so that was one thing. And then I found out uh, through my co-author that uh, it's being used 
and I can't think of the uh, the corporate or word for it, but uh, for airlines during uh, airline crashes, oh, that wow. they distribute the, this book. Oh wow! Free of cost to survivors' families um, who have experienced their loved one dying in an airline crash. Wow. Um, there are many more, but I just don't keep track. Yeah. Um, yeah. When was the last time the book was updated? Uh, about two years ago, three years ago, before COVID. Everything is before, before COVID. COVID. Uh, yeah, it was before COVID. So, um, and I went through it tooth and nail and I just said, you know, we got to fix a couple of words in there. And and now uh, it's being published by Sourcebooks Random House. So they have a whole team of editors working on things, which is wonderful. That's so great to hear. Again. So it's just getting, it's just getting better and better. Yeah. So those of us who work in grief truly understand the concept that grief is a long-term journey. And um, I think I mentioned to you when we spoke earlier that I use the analogy that grief is this uninvited lifelong roommate. When Perfect. I, when I work with my clients and I, I often say, okay, so what skills do you need to get along with your roommate? Because they're here for the long haul. And, mm -hmm. uh, which led me to reach out to you when I saw your new book, The Long Grief Journey, because so many people, especially society at large, will say, so are you over it yet? Mm -hmm. Are you done? Mm -hmm. And um, your new book really addresses that that is not happening. Mm -hmm. And so let's switch now to your new book. And that was just released in, I believe, February of this February, year? February, yes. Yeah. So... What led you to write this new book about long-term grief? Well, again, my own experience. Hmm. After uh, George died, I, I, I feel very comfortable using his name because uh, he's my guardian. Your husband. Yes, my, my former husband, yeah. Oh my uh, and I say former because at the time of his death, um, he uh, we were separated. And uh, in fact... Um, I have to get more precise about that. I was actually remarried at that time. And I keep forgetting that for some reason. But anyway, I was happily remarried at that time. But George and I had remained very close friends. And uh, we were we were raising two children. We needed to be there for each other. And I figured, well, I don't have, you know, what was then when, uh, uh, years ago, the love of my life. At least I have him as a friend. And that was great. And I felt so good about that. So um, after he died so suddenly, I found myself grieving more than I would have expected. Hmm. And I think that some of your listeners are, could relate to that, the death of a former spouse. Yes, I'm so glad you're talking about that. Because People will question, but we're not in a relationship anymore. So do I have that right? That's right. And that's disenfranchised yes. grief, yes. which is extremely painful. And I realized I had no support group to go to. There wasn't one for the loss of a former spouse. Okay. Mm -hmm. Although I still, in my heart, felt connect very connected to George yes. and in love with my husband at the same time. Absolutely. It was, it, it, and what added to that was that I was helping my children process this grief. Yes. Yes. So again, there was no place to go with that. And uh, so I, and I thought, well, you know, I'll get over it easier. 
because after all, we were separated at the time. No, I did not get over it easier because as my children were developing and going through life uh, and all the wonderful, uh, the baseball game where you would wish their father was there and uh, and ultimately the wedding that you wish their father was there, uh, the grief sort of percolated up again. Yeah. And so I said, man, I'm not the only one in this world going through this. Yeah. And then there was a New York Times bestseller called After Grief, mm. which uh, a journalist wrote. And I thought, gee whiz, I think, and she addressed this uh, somewhat. And I thought, mm, yeah, but we need some professionals in there talking about this as well. Mm-hmm. So that's when I approached um, Brady Hansen to work with me on the long grief journey. So we could look at it from my personal experience and the research that was bubbling up about this. Um, so that did that answer your question? I hope so. Yeah. yeah. So define for listeners um, of the podcast, how do you define long-term mm-hmm. grief? Okay. Any grief that lasts long-term, basically. And I don't mean to be facetious about that. However, uh, you learn to live with with grief in in some way, all right? Uh, And what I did with it was to transform the loss into some meaning of some kind and to to give back Mm -hmm. so that I could move on easier and to maintain a connection with George. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, So he's become my guardian angel. Uh, especially when it comes to the children. Mm-hmm. So I might just close my eyes. And here it is. I mean, my son was 12 years old at the time of George's death, and he's now 41 and has a has a child, uh, my grandchild. And I will close my eyes and say, hey, George, I know you're there somewhere. Can't define where, but I'd like to know that you're still around to help me out with these kids. Mm-hmm. All right. And it's a wonderful way to keep the good energy going. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, But first I had to work through the hard stuff. Yeah. Uh, And then long-term grief uh, is basically non-integrated grief that gets in the way sometimes of living one's life fully and and can need, in some cases, attention by a mental health professional. What does that look like, non-integrated grief? Can you be a uh, bit more specific so um, someone can understand if that's something they're struggling with? Yeah. Um, coming up against blocks that keep you from living fully. Okay. All right. Because um, you're still, and I hate to use the word still, that's a wrong word, but that that you're you're having these moments where you just don't know how to move on. Yeah. Um, and and one of the reasons why I chose, uh, I went through a lot of book covers um, for this thing, and I wanted it to be a a a fluid path going. Mm-hmm. That's the I'm describing the front cover of the book, a fluid path towards some kind of light at the end. Mm-hmm. So um Long-term grief is fluid. It can come and go like a wave. However, when it gets in the way of you really living your life to the fullest, that's, that's really, that's a problem. Yeah. And it can need an intervention. Okay. Of some kind. 
So what are some of the things that you think listeners need to know about long-term grief? Some of the things that you talk about in your book. All right. There's so Number many. One. <laughs> Number one, have compassion for yourself and lose the judgment. If it's five years out and you're still bumping up against a block or two that's keeping you from uh, moving forward, uh, or you're still feeling a pang, I, I call it an ambush of grief. Um, and I had a bad <laughs> had a bad ambush when my son was graduating from high school. And I had wished that George was sitting beside me to see how proud we, I had become and how, how well uh, Ian did in his journey. Um, so I was ambushed. So I was crying. And I looked around at other people and they're all applauding and everything, you know, for their kids. And I'm crying. Mm. But I didn't judge myself because I'd had enough wherewithal at that point to just let the tears come. So have compassion for yourself and lose the judgment. Um, and uh, you will be ambushed by sorrow from time to time, depending on the relationship you had and whether or not you have children or any number of factors. And number two, I think it's extremely important and healing to maintain some kind of connection to your loved one. Mm. Because as um, a great philosopher once said, or maybe it was me, I don't know, death may end a life, but it doesn't end the relationship. So um, keeping the relationship going is not patho it's not a pathology that needs oh. medication. Absolutely not. And, um, you agree, don't you? <laughs> absolutely. And I'm a huge fan. Anyone who's worked with me or have heard me before knows that I'm a huge fan of continuing bonds. Good. Yes, that's the word, isn't it? Yes, continue. Mm -hmm. That's the word I use. I think Kessler, was it Kessler who came up with that? No, um, no, 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 no. And I'm uh, and I'll put it in the show notes. Um, I want to say Klaus. No, I could be wrong. And um, the, the researchers who, and it actually came out in, I know the year 1992 is when the book or the research continuing bonds. On continuing yeah. bonds. Yeah. But okay. I'll make a note to put that in the show notes about um, mm -hmm. the reference on who started um, Good. continuing bonds. Good. That's really a helpful way of putting it. Um, I call it continuing connection, but however you say it, it's, it works. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. I think I answered your question. You did. So you make a statement um, really early on in the book. It's actually on page 41, which mm -hmm. is that people don't know how to let grief and life exist at the mm -hmm. same time. Mm -hmm. And I just love that. And I was wondering if you could elaborate on this. Okay. Um I'm actually going to read a little, a uh, couple of sentences from the book, if you don't mind, because I think it really says it succinctly. Uh, we need to be, uh, we need a way to be with grief and talk about grief that is not pathologizing, pressure-inducing, shaming, or inhumane. We need to bring into the light the fact that grief affects a whole life for the remainder of that life. And this fact is neither good nor bad. It just is. Mm. And um, uh, and then I, I wrote an exercise for uh, folks to uh, be with their grief. And I think I wrote it in both, I put it in both books. And that is 
to set aside time to grieve. Yeah. Each day, mm-hmm. five minutes, 15 minutes uh, to either meditate or journal, mm-hmm. have your tears, and then go pick up the kids at school yep. or get out into your community and do something. Um, ultimately, we, of course, I feel we need to do the work of finding some meaning mm-hmm. in our loss, which can also help with the long journey. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yes. Absolutely. I mean, what I love about that is that you don't have to be in either. You don't have to stop living to grieve. Mm -hmm. You can do both at Mm -hmm. the exact same time. And you have to. Well, I say have to. But yeah, if the kids need to be picked up from school and you have too many tears in your eyes, you really shouldn't be driving. Yeah. So, you know, that type of thing. Um, you still have to sort of make your bed and do the dishes and yeah, pay the bills. Yeah. But mm-hmm. I'd even like to take it a step further that you can get to a place in your life when you can experience happiness and joy within oh, the context of grief. Please. Uh, in fact, I, I say this to my grief support group, find a time to laugh this week. Look, find a stupid movie or, uh, you know, tickle, have your kids tickle you or something, but find a way to laugh. Yeah. Because you're allowed to. Yes. And some people need permission. Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Or they feel guilty when they do. That's right. And people walk in with guilt into the group. And that's the first thing out of some uh, that the that they say is, oh, gosh, I feel so guilty this week. And I'll ask them why. And they'll say, well, because I had a really good time on Saturday. Yeah. OK, I'm glad you did. Yeah. Yeah. I work with so many clients who are stuck. And I think that's the word you use in the mm-hmm. book in their grief and trauma. And then uh, they just encounter so many more. Um, and I'm going to use the word mini losses, and sometimes they're not so mini um, Mm -hmm. while they're grieving. And therefore, they perceive themselves as unable to invest in their future because they realize that at any moment, everything can still be taken away. That's right. So I'm curious, how do you or did you help clients cope with these continued many losses and sometimes major losses that they continued to experience in their life while they're grieving this sudden and unexpected death. It almost seems cruel. Yeah. Uh, Well, first of all, I tell them that, uh, yeah, there are always going to be something that you can't predict. It's always going to, something's always going to happen. So validating for them that uh, this is the life journey, that we can't always predict everything. And then if they get really stuck in the why bothers, and that's what I call it, the why bothers, um, uh, I try to help them move towards meaning making, which is a very difficult transition for some people. Yeah. Um, And another way to find meaning, meaning, excuse me, might be to consider helping others who are also grieving Mm -hmm. by volunteering to babysit for a woman whose husband just died or something, getting involved in the community in some way, giving back 
to the community by getting them to see their value because they're helping others. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, then I also wrote about a technique that I uh, used to use where they visualize and dialogue with the block that's keeping them from moving forward. Mm. So actually materializing in their mind what the block might look like. And I was just, I worked with somebody in the grief group the other day who saw it as a giant boulder. Mm. And um, so I, I had her take, I took her through the steps of visualizing, pushing on it. And mm. what does it feel like? And what would it feel like it, if it were just a little bit smaller? Mm-hmm. And then push again and then see it a little bit smaller. Mm -hmm. And this is done, of course, in a therapeutic setting, and it can take almost an hour. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I did a mini version of it for the group this week, and it seemed to work. In fact, what she said was her boulder wasn't just a boulder. It had prickly thorns on it. And uh, so I began to have her visualize and imagine the thorns falling away so um it's not an easy one when somebody's really attached to their block yeah. it's not easy no uh, but uh if they can visualize it uh and some people can't they they just they just don't feel like they have that ability and that's a block in itself mm-hmm. but we try yeah yeah mm-hmm. yeah to meet our clients where they are yeah 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 your new book is extremely comprehensive and covers so many topics that i see clients struggle with in long-term grief loneliness discovering Mm -hmm. new identities guilt and regret and so on and um this is one of the things i wanted to ask you to talk about today um was also hope and finding Mm -hmm. hope for the future because, mm-hmm. you know, related to the being stuck, finding hope is an area um, where I see clients struggle. And I'm curious how you help clients find hope. Well, moving on from the grip of grief is tough. And finding hope is not easy. And maybe you don't know where to begin. But I think uh, we can be intentional about looking for hope, especially as the world expresses it around us. Uh, For instance, uh, hope is what I see in the groups I counsel as they observe others who are moving along the path of grief. So they may be fresh and new at it, and then observe somebody who's three years beyond them in terms of the grief journey and say, wow, look at what you're doing. And so they gain some hope that way. Um, also, I, I need to talk about Rob for a minute, and I'm I'm not using his real name. Of uh, he comes to the group, or he he used to. He was uh, grieving a child he had lost ten years ago as an infant. Mm-hmm. Okay, and he didn't think there was any hope of getting past his grief because it was already ten years, and he was judging himself very harshly. And the group supported him in listening to that journey. Mm-hmm. And to, to the point where he doesn't have to come, he doesn't come anymore mm-hmm. because he felt the group being so supportive of him uh, grieving that long for the loss of his child. 
So I see hope in that way. And I also truly and 100% believe that hope can be found simply by looking around one at nature Hmm. uh, and immersing oneself in its healing benefits. I live in northern Vermont, as you know, where spring struggles like heck to emerge every year. And when I felt at my lowest, I I would look at the dead trees and bushes that surround me in my yard and and how they push hard to come out of their winter sleep. And I think of the little, I'm going to use a funny term, I think of those little turd-like bulbs that you plant Hmm? in the fall as an example of hope as they push their way up to greet the sun. And almost every person in the grief support group I facilitate walks in the magnificent woods here. In fact, I think I'm going to lead a group doing that because, well, they do it on their own. But I'm thinking of leading it uh, uh, by setting an intention as we walk. And they report back on the healing and peace and support they've experienced in quietude and nature. Nature is a pretty cool healer. It really is. Yeah, so that's some of the ways that uh, I have hope. Well, those are beautiful ways. So um, in closing today, what advice would you give to someone who's brand new and has Mm. just experienced a sudden and unexpected death? I know I would tell them to buy your book. Um, Thank you. But um, while I have you here with us, What are some words of wisdom that you would share with them today? Don't judge yourself too harshly. If the loss was yesterday or years ago, in the beginning, you'll feel crazy for a while. Period. You'll feel crazy. You will feel like life or God or the universe has given you the most difficult thing in the world to bear. And the acute pain, just know this, that the acute pain of loss disorganizes us, presents us at the same time with an opportunity to create a new life, a new way of being. And you can't see that gift in the very beginning. You just cannot see that. But the gift that this life-changing experience has within it is profound. And mostly you're not alone. Yeah. Um, be intentional and find a community to grieve with. And if there's none in your community, start one. Mm. Read my books and start one. And I'd like to end with a poem that I wrote. Oh, please. For the book. If I can find it. Here it is. It's called A New Day. A new day happens unannounced, begins the unending loss and gain with cries, with pain, asking us to bend, breaking us open, heartache unspoken, screaming the unanswerable, inviting us come this way. We walk in darkness toward the light of hope from hopelessness. A new day awaits. Wow. That's my philosophy right there. Thank you. So, Dr. Pamela Blair, I cannot thank you enough for your time today. You have contributed to the field and the literature two amazing books on sudden and unexpected death. And I appreciate 
your wisdom and your guidance and you sharing your time today with uh, listeners about um, your experiences and your resources. So thank, thank you, you again. Jen. Thank you. As I mentioned in the interview, Pamela's book, I Wasn't Ready to Say Goodbye, has been the most consistent resource I recommend to any client who has recently experienced a sudden or unexpected death. After 23 years and several updates, this book remains a comprehensive guide for individuals and families who are living with a sudden death and provides information on different types of loss for different family members and at different points of time. I also mentioned how excited I was to see Pamela's new book about the long grief journey. I repeatedly bear witness to the pain and grief of those living with the aftermath of sudden and unexpected death that they have to endure for a long time. It truly is a long-term journey. Friends, family, and society at large are seldom aware of the long-term consequences and that grief truly never goes away. Yes, it changes and evolves, but the support from others often dissipates along the journey and often a lack of understanding of what long-term grief like is like never really is understood. The long-term journey written by Pamela Blair and co-author Brady McCabe Hansen is an excellent resource that covers so many of the challenges long-term grievers encounter and provides exercises you can use to work through many of the areas where you may be feeling stuck. In today's podcast interview, I really liked what Pamela had to say about hope when it comes to grief. And I found her thoughts to be consistent with the way traumatic death changes us in general. You know, after the experience of a sudden death, that you are changed in your core and that you no longer interact or view the world in the same manner. Little remains the same in your life after you experience a sudden or unexpected death. So many people have trouble finding hope again after a sudden death. It makes sense that you may now need to view the concept of hope differently after your loss. Perhaps you may need to find hope in different things than what you used to. Pamela talked about finding hope in the support you get from family or friends, and she talked about experiences she had where she saw hope that individuals got from their support group members. She also talked about finding hope in new growth in nature. Her thoughts brought me back to the interview I had several weeks ago with Kim Canton, who talked about finding happiness in new ways. She talked about finding happiness in simpler things in life, mainly with the connections to people that she was with in her life that brought her joy in their presence. I encourage those of you struggling to find hope in your life and even happiness right now after the sudden or devastating loss of your loved one to examine how you are finding, or I should say, defining hope 
or even defining happiness. Perhaps you are still using definitions of hope or happiness from the life you used to live prior to your unexpected death. It may be time to redefine your concept of hope or happiness in a new way, a way that matches your current experiences. It was such an honor for me to interview Dr. Pamela Blair for today's podcast. I have long since admired her work and was delighted when she responded to my email invitation for the podcast interview. I want to thank her for her time and for sharing her personal and clinical experiences with listeners. If you want an opportunity to connect with Dr. Pamela Blair, please join our Facebook group talking about the podcast Untethered with Dr. Levin. The Facebook group for this week's podcast will also contain the reference for the book on continuing bonds that we discussed in this podcast by Dr. Dennis Klaus, and it will have information for Dr. Blair's website and information about her new book, The Long Grief Journey, and of course her book, I Wasn't Ready to Say Goodbye. Thank you so much for joining today's podcast episode of Untethered, Healing the Pain After a Sudden Death. Our next podcast will be with Dr. Tina Bryson, where she will talk about traumatic grief and the impact it has on young teenagers and young children. So please make sure to stay tuned for that. Our podcast is now hosted on my website, Therapy Heals. To learn more about hope and guidance after sudden or unexpected death, please visit therapyheals.com and sign up for my monthly newsletter, Guidance and Grief, at www.therapyheals.com. Bye for now. Thank you for listening today. Be sure to subscribe to my podcast so you never miss an episode. For guidance and hope with unexpected or sudden death, please visit my website, www.therapyheals.com to learn more about the services we offer. If you would like to share your story on our podcast in service of helping others heal after a sudden or unexpected death, please email us at info at therapyheals.com.